The UDR cast is not affiliated and does not represent any 12-step fellowship. I, Bill Ward, the host of the UDR cast, will be sharing my experience and my journey of recovery. That does include, but is not limited to, the literature contained in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 Steps. Our guests will be sharing their own path to recovery and what has worked for them. The UDR cast encourages and supports all paths to recovery. Welcome everybody to the UDR cast. UDR stands for Uncover, Discover and Recover. My name is Bill Ward and I'm coming to you from the recovery capital of Canada, Calgary, Alberta. Here we are going to discuss everything recovery, different perspectives, different experiences, both with the people I know and with others from around the world. If you resonate with anything you've heard on this episode today, we ask that you share it with anyone who you think may benefit from it. If you have any questions or comments, please find us at billward.life and send us a message in the info section. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. If you are interested in more recovery content, you can find the buttons for the YouTube channel and other social media outlets on the homepage, and you will be redirected to those platforms. We can recover. One person, one family, one community at a time. are page 90 sometimes it is wise so i don't know if i really need to say much um we got to get all through all this material on all step 12 in the next two sessions yeah we will we will do that okay i feel pretty confident um yeah i don't know really what to say i kind of said it at the beginning of the last session you know if anyone has any questions as we go along you know feel free to bring them up and we'll try to answer it the best we can. Um, we both have a lot of experience in the step. Um, a lot of our experience is pretty black and pretty white. There's not a lot of gray area in sponsorship for us, at least. Uh, we have learned a lot about many different things, but the alcoholic's really not that unique. He's pretty, pretty fucking consistent creature in many respects. So that's about it. Okay. Well, well, I think we're just going to bust into it and we'll let the book speak for itself here. Sometimes it is, it is wise to wait till he goes on a binge. The family may object to this, but unless he is in a dangerous physical condition, it is better to risk it. Don't deal with him when he is very drunk, unless he is ugly and the family needs your help. Wait for the end of a spree or, spree or at least a lucid interval. Then let his family or, or a friend ask him if he wants to quit for good and if he'll go to any extreme to do so. If he says yes, then his attention should be drawn to you as a person who has recovered. You should, you should be described to him as one of a fellowship who is part of their own recovery. Try to help others and who would be only too glad to see him if he cares to see you. If he does not want to see you, never force yourself upon him. Neither should the family hysterically plead with him to do anything, nor should they tell you tell him much about you. They should wait for the end of his next drinking bout. You might place this book where you can see it in the interval. Here, no specific rule can be given. The family must decide these things, but urge them not to be over-anxious, for that might spoil matters. Usually, the family should not try and tell your story. When possible, avoid meeting a man through his family. 
approach through a doctor or an institution is a better bet. If your man needs hospitalization, he should have it, but not forcibly unless he is violent. Let the doctor, if he will, tell you he has something in the way of a solution. When your man is better, the doctor might suggest a visit from you. Though you have talked with the family, leave them out of the first discussion. Under these conditions, your prospect will see he is under no pressure. He will feel that he could deal with you without being nagged by his family. Call on him while he is still jittery. He may be more receptive when depressed. See your man alone if possible. At first, engage in general conversation. After a while, turn the talk to some phase of drinking. Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. If he wishes to talk, let him do so. You will thus get a better idea of how you ought to proceed. If he's not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit, but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. If he is in a serious mood, dwell on the troubles liquor has caused you being careful not to moralize or lecture. If his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapades. Get him to tell you some of his. Sometimes it is wise to wait until he goes on a binge. You know, and as you're working with alcoholics and addicts, and they're kind of like in between and they're still kind of fucking around, and like you kind of got your eye on these guys in a way sometimes or, you know, you can't help but have your eye on them because you're in the same town as them or you're in the same vicinity as the meetings and the, you know, kind of the fellowship that they circle. And it says it is wise until wait till he goes on a spree. And that's really important, right? And once you know he is on the spree, you can kind of really gauge that and watch him and and try to catch him as soon as he's done the spree. You know, as if you know that he's out on the spree and you can send him a message like a week in or two weeks in or whatever it is, and you can get some type of response out of this guy at some point when he's like, yeah, it's fucking, it's, I'm burning it down. It's really terrible. I need help. And I got like one day sober or two days sober. That's a great time to go in kind of, it's like go in for the kill, right? But it's not going in for the kill. It's going in to save his life. And you go in and you, you like this book describes, you're, you're humbling him. You're showing how his own drinking and what he's doing in his life is fucking up his life. You're showing him the data because pride is really beaten right now. So if you can really show him the effects of what his drinking and his life is right now, you can really kind of create, we talk about generating that humility you generate that humility and you try to kind of get them to turn a corner and get them into detox. And, you know, and that's really important again, to get them into detox, because a lot of times they'll say they want this, they'll say they want it. And if you can follow them on that spree and then get them at this point. And then if he's like, yeah, I'm going to detox, I'll, I'll go. And he's listening to you. Then he might be on the right track. But you won't know until he actually shows up at detox. If he shows up at detox, that's great. Now let's see if he stays in detox, right? So there's a lot of little dynamics that can happen here after he goes on the spree. And watching for these sprees is important. And then watching when he's coming off the spree and trying to catch him in those first few days after that spree where he's got a lot of shame and guilt. And then you really show them the fucking truth about what's going on and then try to direct them towards detox. And there's no point in working the steps with him right away. 
like a lot of new sponsors will be like, okay, let's get into the book. There's no point doing that in the first couple days of a guy who's been on a spree. You're just wasting your time. Typically. I'm not going to say, don't do it. If you know, go ahead. New sponsors got to cut their teeth the hard way. Right. And, and who knows? I'm not God. Maybe that one person out of a hundred will fucking do this work after two days and it will make the difference. But typically as a rule, like we talked about when we started, there's a lot of black and a lot of white in sponsorship. And one thing that I do not do is I do not work with somebody until they're five days sober. And if I've asked them to go to detox, then they go to detox. And if they don't go to detox and they don't stay five days sober, then, you know, chances are we're not doing anything together. Okay. Um, so the next line says, don't deal with him when he was very drunk. I get calls quite often lately, actually, by a couple people. And I don't deal with them when they're really drunk, man. There's no point. You know, I've spent in my early sponsorship career, I spent a lot of time on the phone with people that were drunk thinking that I was doing the right thing. And fucking numerous times when I'd talk to these people later, they didn't even remember. I'd spend like an hour, two hours fucking catering to their fucking needs on the phone and trying to give them the compassion. All I was doing was carrying the alcoholic and I would fucking waste all that time that I could have been useful somewhere else, but it wasn't wasted time because it taught me, right? It taught me don't do that. And the book is pretty clear on that too. Right. And what, another thing I think I'd like to highlight out of this little bit of what I'm spitting out is a lot of people new to sponsorship. They just start relying on other people to tell them what to do when this, this chapter has mostly what you should do. And I always say to somebody new that's calling me, have you read the chapter? Well, I read it like eight months ago. No, fucking read it again. If you're in sponsorship, you should be reading this chapter every month or two because new experiences will pull out of this chapter that you can use in your sponsorship. And you'll see how important this literature is because it's really clear cut directions on the do's and don'ts of sponsorship. And some of that was in there, but I didn't really know that when I first started sponsoring because I was sponsoring no word of a lie. As soon as I, I was actually on step 10 when I started sponsoring and I had the discussion with my sponsor and he said, yeah, take it on and go for it. But I was done my steps within like a couple of weeks of that. And, and then I just carried on and have never stopped. Right. So a few lines down again, last paragraph. Um, if he does not want to see you never force yourself upon him. A lot of guys will chase these guys around. We do not chase these guys around. I do not chase these guys around. And like, if you're chasing people around and really trying to get them to fucking get this, basically what you're doing is you're making decisions based in self and you're wasting the time that it could be used helping somebody else that really does want this stuff. And although you might have good intentions in what you're doing, or maybe you're really close to the person, or maybe you're, you've sponsored them and they've relapsed and you really want to try to help these people, don't, don't follow them around. Don't fucking chase them around. You'll learn through time on how to deal with these different situations. Maybe in my first 20 sponsees, I did do some of that. But now what I do is 
I'll message a guy if they leave, if they, if they go missing, like at, at least in my peripheral, I'll just message them every two or three weeks and just say, Hey, how's it going? And that's it. If they answer me great. And if they don't, that's okay too. Right. And I, I don't worry about it too much, but again, you know, new sponsors have to kind of cut their teeth and go through some of this bullshit. Like, you know, CJ, you're new and you're sponsoring and you're going to have to go through some of the shit, right? Right. That's how it goes. It's kind of like when you learn a new trade and a new job, you're doing all the shit wrong. Like I remember when these guys would work for me, like I was an expert on a shovel, man. I could dig a fucking hole in the hardest ground and I could be down at the six, eight feet down in like fucking half an hour. I'm eight feet down the holes, like four feet wide and all my dirt's piled perfectly right and it's the kind of the same with sponsorship once you learn how to work the tool like i did with the shovel and i and i chip it properly and i use my foot on the shovel properly and i pry the rocks properly and i'm not fighting against the dirt and the obstacles in the dirt and i learn how to use my body and i use learn how to toss it with minimal you know hurt of my body it's kind of the same sponsorship. You learn how to fucking navigate this so that you're really effective and you're using your energy in a good way. <clears throat> but it takes time, right? I had to learn that through a lot of fucking fighting big rocks in the fucking hole and, and fighting that fucking hard crust on the top. Fucking, you know, sweating my ass off and spending like six hours to get that hole done, right? Over to the next page. One possible avoid meeting a man through his family. So for me and Jesse, I know Jesse's on this page. We avoid working with people typically if they've been referred from somebody we know to us. Because the thing with him and I, at least at this point, but you guys are going to have to do it differently again, right? For us, we've learned through the multiple people that we've sponsored that if we get referrals, we call them referrals. These guys aren't coming to us because of the message that we carry or from the reputation that we have. They're coming to us because somebody else wants them with us. And it's almost always never worked out because they're not really connected with the message that we've delivered. And that is the cool thing about, you know, getting good at this stuff. Because once your message is strong and you're convicted in your, in your speech and in your words and you've seen enough people die, then that carries a lot of weight. And the people that come to me, they're pretty fucking ready, ready to go, right? But somebody that doesn't know me, that Joe Blow fucking says, here, come work with this guy. Typically, these guys aren't even ready. And yeah, I might be good for them, but not right now because I've developed my own system and patterns on how I do this. And this guy wants no part of that because his ego hasn't been smashed enough or he, I haven't forecasted this guy's future enough and he doesn't fucking really want what I have. Right. So it's, it's a hard deal when we're getting referrals, but you guys, and what I do is I stand up in meetings. I haven't, I have not looked for a sponsor sponsee ever. I've never really went to meetings to look for sponsees. I've always had enough sponsees right from the first time I started sponsoring. I've never looked for them. But like even today, I will stand up in a meeting 
And I want somebody, if they want me, I want them to approach me so that they don't just go away without talking to me. And then I will pass them on to a guy like CJ or pass them on to one of my old sponsees or one of the guys that is freshly ready to sponsor. So I think that's really important too, right? That I stand up and I talk to him and I redirect him hopefully somewhere. And the cool thing also about, you know, kind of getting good at this stuff is a lot of these guys are willing and I've heard them say it. They'll say, as long as it's somebody that's connected in your group and your lineage, I'll fucking go there. So it works well in that way. Right. Um, so bottom of right in the middle of the page, call on him while he is still jittery. He may be more receptive when he's depressed. I already touched on that. You get him right after the spree when he's jittery still, he's more depressed. And then you really show them the bullshit that he's causing, what he's living in, what he's doing to hurt his children, what he's doing to hurt his life, his boss. You, you give him all the data on how he's destroying his life and show him it's fucking your drinking and drugging and or defects of character, right? See your man alone if possible at first engage in general conversation. That's pretty important. But it's not it's not a necessity. I don't need to see him. I don't want to see him with his family, that's for sure. And I can see him with another alcoholic. Any of you guys on the screen with me there or me with you there, that's totally fine, right? But what it says here, after a while, turn to talk to some phase of drinking. Tell him enough about your own drinking symptoms and experience and encourage him to speak of himself if he wishes to talk. And Jesse talked about this, I believe, on our last session, where you're not going in and talking to a brand new guy who's burning down his life with alcohol about your grand spiritual awakenings and how everything's so beautiful and better, blah, blah, blah. You need to get the depth, the depth of the drinking, like the, the low bottom conversations of, you know, what it's like in the fucking middle of that substance use, what it's, you know, what it's like to be dealing with your family and fucking relapsing and waking up on park benches and fucking whatever it is you know this is really the time where you share your experiences and match his experiences try to right show him that yeah dude i've been there and it's not really about the spiritual awakenings or really about the fucking promises yeah there's some of that in there but really it's kind of like bill w when he went to see dr bob Dr. Bob was like, okay, I'm going to give you 15 minutes to tell me about your drinking or my drinking. Because everyone was talking to Dr. Bob about his drinking. Well, Bill W. talked about his own drinking. And that's what really attracted Dr. Bob to, to Bill W. And that's kind of what we're doing here. Um, and then as you're talking to him, you will get thus get a better idea how you ought to proceed. Well, that's really easy for me today. I can gauge a guy in a basically fucking probably 10 minute conversation even on how I ought to proceed with this guy. It did take longer when I was newer, but like I said, when we started this episode today, you know, the alcoholics, not that unique, man. They're pretty fucking simple to fucking tag and, and to fucking gauge and know how, where they're at and shit, but it took a long time. Like the first 10 or 15 sponsees you guys are working with, you're just getting a system, a basic system. 
you know, 15 to 30, you're, you're honing that system. You know, by the time you have like 60 people and not all of them are through the steps, that's for fucking sure, right? Well, most of these guys have fucked around at step three or step two, maybe step one. But by 50, 60, 70 guys in, now you're fucking, you're rocking your system. And you're moving forward in your sponsorship with a lot of confidence. You're collecting some data and a lot of these mental inconsistencies of the alcoholic are very consistent. So they're actually consistencies and you can see the depressive type of alcoholic versus the egocentric, the aggressive, the passive aggressive. You start fucking being able to see all this shit and, and you've seen enough of it now that you're able to go in confidence and know how to direct these people, but that takes time, right? So again, you got to cut your teeth, you got to fuck around and you got to fucking learn. And that's how we do it. But remember, and we'll talk about this later. In 1939, we didn't have the, they didn't have the luxury of just going to a meeting and finding five newcomers at a meeting and, and fucking working with them on Zoom or meeting them at Tim Hortons. Like these guys had to go and find these guys and they had to deal with a lot of bullshit and they fucking were willing to deal with all the bullshit that these alcoholics had to throw at them. And we were so spoiled that, you know, we get fucked with a little bit here and there and fuck our prize hurt. And fuck, I want no part of this, right? <laughs> it's like, it's fucking pathetic. It is, it really is, man. But the thing about this Dealing with all that shit, it's not really a waste of time because you're learning so much shit about you and you're learning the, the principles of the program, tolerance, patience. We talk about, remember that the person is a very sick man. These people are really sick, right? And you start seeing that like really, man, not just like surface level sick. You start seeing like, holy fuck, some of these people, some of us are really, really sick, not just because we're hooked on a substance, but our fucking minds are pretty messed up. Anyway, that's it. Okay. Yeah. So much like Bill had mentioned in the last, uh, in the last session here that, you know, a lot of the times the, the journey is the destination and especially with old school sponsorship, there's a majority of it would be legwork as opposed to actually working with the guy and trying to set these things up and trying to build relationships with the hospitals, with the doctors, with the asylums, with the priests, just in order to get in front of these guys, right? To where we, you know, our system today is mainlined and guys are complaining at, you know, the fact that you have the source. You don't have to go through the family. You can meet the guy direct. You're cutting out the middleman essentially. And, you know, there's still excuses. I'm sure there was excuses for not doing it back then. And there's sure as fuck excuses for not doing it today. Sometimes it is wise to wait till he goes on a binge. Unless he is in a dangerous physical condition, it's better to risk it. So on 91, the bottom of the third, I guess the second paragraph, it says, call on him while he is still jittery. He may be more receptive when depressed, right? So we want to catch this guy when he's under the lash of alcoholism, right? Under the lash of alcoholism is the only chance that he has for some sort of humility. We need him to be devastated from his drinking. We need him to be humbled by the devastation of his drinking. Only then can the grace of God enter him and expel his obsession, right? And that's, of course, through this process that we're going to take with him. But we have to start and we have to start where he is 
receptive. He's going to be receptive to what we have to say. And this is why it's very ballsy what they've said here. But unless he is in a dangerous physical condition, it is better to risk it. And you have to remember that in this context, you would be saying that to the family. You would be saying that to the wife of the man well, the kids are running around. That Listen, it's better for him to be in a dangerous physical condition for us to actually do this. Now, of course, that whole dynamic is cut right out. And this is only for your own knowledge now, right? You go to the meeting, you meet him there, you know, you have a feeling he's probably going to be off on a run pretty soon. You know, in the back of your mind, no, you know, I'll probably grab his number. I'll get him to take mine and I'll reach out in a week, maybe when he's in the spread or lucid interval, right? Don't deal with him when he's very drunk. And that is a rule of thumb. Bill had touched on that. I haven't had a guy call me drunk in fucking years. Early recovery, that was commonplace. I don't know why guys don't call me drunk anymore. I don't know what I've done, what I've said, how I've acted. But I feel it's a respect thing that they know that this is not this is not how it goes. So all the guys that I've sponsored, they call other fucking people. They know not to call me, uh, which is fortunate, fortunate for myself because God knows they'd be fucking calling me, you know, and you, like, listen, if I get sponsees calling me late in the night and whatever, and I'm available to pick up the phone, not a fucking issue. But if you're hammered, you know, there's nothing I could do for you anyways. Call fucking somebody else, bro. You know, call an ex-girlfriend, whatever. You know what I mean? Entertain yourself because I'm not going to entertain you. That's even if I pick up the fucking phone, right? So don't deal with them when he's very drunk. Why this is important is because I can't story after fucking story. This is very commonplace for new sponsees to get caught up in. I've even seen grand sponsees of mine and great grand sponsees of mine get caught up in this. Right. And it's not so much a guy that they're working with, but it'd be like a good friend. That's kind of common to where, you know, they used to use together, you know, he's still just as bad as he is. He feels sorry. So he meets him at a hotel when buddy's smoking crack or something. That's fuck cut that out. And why we cut that out is because listen, early sponsorship, you know, a lot of, a lot of your energy is going to be going to be displaced in the meetings. But once you start picking up some guys and then you have a job or career, right? And then maybe you have a spouse and maybe you have some hobbies and you have some friends and, you, and you're starting to rebuild relationships with your family. Energy starts to get displaced pretty quickly. And you will soon realize that you don't have the energy to be fucking burning on guys that are drunk, right? Or guys that don't want this. As opposed to, because you're going to be growing all these things, right? You're going to have to put time into all these things. It's going to take concentration. It's going to take discipline. And it's definitely going to take fucking energy. And then you'll start to realize like, holy fuck, like this one guy who's draining my time, I could sponsor maybe five guys. Right? I could sponsor five. And then once you start doing that equation, now you start, now you start really getting what the fuck we're talking about. Okay. When possible, avoid meeting a man through his family. It's funny that Bill touched upon the referrals. I don't think I've ever gotten a referral drunk or sober rather. And some of the craziest stories I have sponsoring other men is out of fucking referrals. And why that is, is because the relationship is crooked 
right out of the gate, right? They don't know where I come from. They haven't heard me speak. They haven't seen me in a meeting, right? They don't know anything about me. And if they did, the God's honest truth is they probably wouldn't ask me anyways. Major <laughs> majority of the referrals want to fuck around. And this is why somebody else is asking for them, not them themselves, right? And so with referrals, it, it, the relationship's crooked right off the bat because that aspect, they don't see me out of what I've said and how I handle myself. Then they ask me, they know what they're getting themselves into. At least they have an idea. Maybe they don't know fully, but at least they have some idea that, you know, a little bit of a hard ass, they'll get smacked around that type of idea. Uh, but these other guys have no fucking idea. You know, they're looking for a couple 20 spots and a ride to a meeting here and there type of idea, right? They're not looking for actual sponsorship. I've already touched on calling him. Well, he is still jittery. He may be more receptive when depressed. There's another piece that we're going to read that coincides with that. It's extremely fucking important, but we'll touch upon that when we touch upon the other piece. See your man alone if possible. So this is the, the description of the first meet. And essentially how this process will go is you will meet a man, you will engage at first, engage in general conversation. Out of that general conversation, you will try to turn the phase of conversation, something to do with drinking. Then you are only going to share enough of your own drinking experience to encourage this man to speak of his own drinking experience. Then you will take your foot off the gas pedal and you will let him go wherever he wants to go. Then from there, it's complete sales. You are going to mimic where he's at, right? If he seems to be happy and upbeat, then you are going to tell him humorous stories of your drinking escapades. If he seems to be a little bit more depressed, then you will dwell on the troubles liquor has caused you. This is all for a buildup on the next paragraph for you to describe yourself as an alcoholic, right? So it says, when you feel that he feels, you know all about the drinking game, it's called the close, you call yourself an alcoholic. And if he's related with you the whole time and the conversation's been a good flow back and forth, you call yourself an alcoholic, what the fuck, what does that mean for him, right? So first, first things first is that if you speak in a meeting, you get to negate all that. You don't have to, this right here, is like, again, you've called Nurse Ratchet into the hospital. She said, yes, John Smith's pretty bad alcoholic. You talk to Mrs. Smith. You get an idea of his behavior, his background, seriousness, seriousness of his condition. You take that information. You go see Mr. Smith in the hospital bed. This is your first meet, right? This is 2022 now, right? So some of these things are changed. And this is how, it, this is how it's changed. How it's changed is that you have maybe 10, 15 minutes either before or after a meeting for the first meet with this individual, right? And the odds are, I mean, if he's in one of the houses, maybe he has 10 minutes before he's on that wagon, you know, back to the house. So, you know, engaging in general conversation is okay, but it's going to have to be targeted. It's going to have to be more targeted around the rooms. Do you come to this meeting often? How long you got sober? You got a sponsor? What step are you on? Sure. For the most part, I negate all that shit. Um, and I will go to more direct questions, I guess, direct questions like that, 
I guess direct questions like that. Surface conversation, general conversation, what they mean by that is you're talking about the Calgary Flames and the Dallas series, right? Or you're talking about uh, maybe golf, or you're talking about the fucking weather, or you're talking, you know what I mean? That's when they mean general conversation. What I described before is not general conversation that's pretty targeted, and you're going to want to make sure you share in order to talk to him like that. You have to have something to stand on before you fucking start asking some targeted questions. But believe you and me, if you share in that meeting and you're batting at a six, let's say out of 10, and your and you're, you're batting average for shares are a five or a six, which means they're pretty middle of the road, there's general solution in there, you'll have no problem talking to an individual after the room and getting somewhat ballsy with these questions, more direct. You don't have to, I already did that in the room. I already sold myself in the room. We both know who I am. And then you start asking some targeted questions. Let me see. There's a fucking question here. Would you qualify them in the first meeting? Uh, well, I mean, like the first meeting is going to be the 10 minutes. So if you share in that room, you're going to be already asking him qualifying questions, right? Out of those qualifying questions, we'll see. Quite often, I'll do these qualifying questions. We'll have maybe a 10-minute chat, and he'll say, you know what? Like, I am looking for a sponsor. Would you mind if I take your number, right? And that's kind of as good as that's going to get, right? Then whether or not he calls me or not makes a little difference to me. And I'll fucking tell a guy. As, as soon as I give you or give him my number, I'll say, listen, I'll do this. You call me tomorrow. We'll get moving and I'll match your intensity. You don't call me. My life moves the fuck on. And I'll say exactly that. My life moves on, bro. And, I, and I'll say, is that fair? And they'll say, yes, that's fair. And then they call me or they don't call me. Whatever. Um, okay, one other thing I want to touch upon is the moralizer lecture. Oh, two things. One of which is, is, so in the first meet, you're talking enough about yourself to encourage him to speak of himself, that, that's going to be the general theme of any conversation you have with a sponsee. Less is more. It's the same thing with sales. I'm sorry to tell you, this whole chapter is complete fucking sales. That's all this is. If you have any sales experience or customer service experience in your career life, fucking adopt it here. And, it, and, and, and you're locked and loaded. Not a fucking issue. So much like I would with a client, I am going to talk about the product enough in order for him. And then I just shut the fuck up. And then I start taking notes. It's going to be very similar here. You're going to talk about your own drinking experience uh, or talk about your experience with the steps or talk about what it was like when you were new. And then you just, then you just listen to him. And out of what he'll say in the first meet, you are still trying to get the seriousness, is, the seriousness of his condition, uh, his behaviors, his problems right? That we had chatted about on page 90. You're still looking for that information. Okay. That's all I got to say on that. Okay. I want to say something. So Jesse mentioned about the rooms and your initial, your initial contact is the quality of share that you're sharing in the room. Right. And that's why I think what I'd like to say is really important. If you, if you're in the rooms, and you're sharing on a step one or two or three, mostly step one, I'm going to say here, 
why not look at the book while you're fucking in the meeting and find something out of the book to share on? Because there's no point in sharing off the wall because everyone shares off the wall. If you really want to get to the to the inner part of this guy's psyche, you share out of the book and then share your experience based on what you're reading out of the book. Right. So that he's, he's, his subconscious is biting into yours. And he's like, this guy knows something. This guy has more than these other people. Everyone, like you can feel that. Right. And as you are selling your share in the rooms and you are honing your share, and as you're sharing out of the book, you're actually sharpening the message on step one. And you become way more effective in all of your fucking aspects of your program, especially in attracting new people to your message. So don't be afraid to bring the book in and look at the book while the step one meeting's going on and then read a piece out of that book and then share your exact experience off of that. And then chances are, as you do this over and over, your mind's going to go to different parts of that step one in your share as you gain more experience as a sharing and as a member, and you'll be able to tie other parts of your share together with the powerlessness and the unmanageability and the mental blank spot, peculiar mental twist, and the more about alcoholism, what type of thinking precedes the first drink, like all of this shit can be done in a five minute share. And that's what will grab the guy. You do that at five meetings in a row, and this guy's been to those five meetings you're at, Fuck, you could qualify him in the first meeting because he's already fucking targeted you and he wants you and you fucking got him in the bag now. Now you set the standards and say, okay, like Jesse said, here's my number, call me. And if he's serious, he's going to fucking call you. And if he's been watching you for five meetings, chances are they are going to call you. Whether they keep on that track is another story, but at least you're already, you're already fucking doing most of the work and the sharing. So it's really important to share strong in the meetings and how you learn to do that is out of the literature and sharing like Jesse likes to say what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. I, I do a little bit different take, but regardless, both the takes are effective and I don't really have to fuck around with the guy after I give him my number, he calls me. And then when he does call me, I'm qualifying usually on the phone because I have my hard and fast lines, my hard and fast lines. I let them know. And I'm like, if you're okay with that, then we do this. And then we do this. And then it goes pretty good. That's it. Okay. When he sees, you know, all about the drinking game, commence to describe yourself as an alcoholic. Tell him how baffled you were, how you finally learned that, that you were sick. Give him an account of the struggles you made to stop. <laughs> show him the mental twist which leads to the first drink of a spree we suggest that you do this as we have done in the chapter of alcoholism uh, if he is an alcoholic he will understand you at once he will match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own if you are satisfied that he's a real alcoholic begin, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady show him from your own experience how the queer mental conditions surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower don't at this stage refer to this book unless he has seen it and wishes to discuss it and let's be careful and be careful not to brand him an alcoholic let him draw his own conclusions if he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking Tell him that he possibly can if he's not too alcoholic, but insist that if he is severely afflicted, 
There may be little chance he can recover by himself. Continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of the body and mind which accompany him. Keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. Explain many who are doomed who never realize their true predicament. Doctors are rightly low to tell alcoholic patients the whole story unless it will serve some good purpose. But you may talk to him about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. You, you, will, you will soon have your friend admitting he has many, if, if not all, of the traits of the alcoholic. If his own doctor is willing to tell him that he's an alcoholic, so much the better. Even though your protege may not have entirely admitted his condition, he has become very curious uh, to know how you got well. Let him ask you that question. If he will, tell him exactly what happened to you. Stress the spiritual feature freely. If the man be agnostic or atheist, make it empathetic that he does not have to agree with your conception of God. He can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes sense to him. The main thing is that he be willing to believe in a, in a power greater than himself and that he live by spiritual principles. When dealing with such a person, you had better use everyday language to describe spiritual principles. There is no use arousing any prejudice he may have against certain theological terms and conceptions about which he may already be confused. Don't raise such issues, no matter what your own convictions are. Your prospect may belong to a religious denomination. His religious education and training may be far superior to yours. In that case, he is going to wonder how you can add anything to what he already knows. But he will be curious to learn... <laughs> but he will be curious to learn... Uh, but he will be curious to learn why his own convictions have not worked and why yours seems to work so well. He may be the example of the truth that faith alone is insufficient. To be vital, faith must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish constructive action. Let him see that you're not there to instruct him about religion. Admit that he probably knows more about it than you do, but call to his attention the fact that however deep his faith and knowledge, he cannot have applied it or he would not drink. Perhaps your story will help him uh, see where he has failed to practice. We do not represent a particular faith or denomination. We are dealing only with general principles common to most denominations. So back to the top of 92. Okay, tell him how baffled you were, how you finally learned that you were sick. Give him an account of the struggles that made you stop. Show him the mental twist that leads to the first drink of the spree. We, we suggest you do this as we have done in the chapter on alcoholism. So basically what, what I'm saying, what it's saying here is I'm going to really tell him what it was like. I'm going to, I'm going to show him how, you know, I would be okay. I'd be okay. I would get that thought. And then I'd go fucking think I was just going to take the edge off, have a who to crack or a drink. And then the next thing, you know, I couldn't put the pipe down and then I was gone on a spree. And then what happened? I'm, Part of what I'm going to tell him is the dishonesty that I had with the family and how, how this substance use created so much dishonesty and what I was doing in my actions to fucking hide this and how I couldn't put it down. And talking about the chapter more on alcoholism, you know, doing it in general way, going, I would get the thought to use. I drive by a hotel and then the next thing you know, I'm fucking calling my dealer. And then I think I'm just going to, you know, smoke a little rock. And then I have that hit a rock. And then I'm calling the guy back. 
for a 300 piece and then the fucking weekend shot and I'm fucking hiding out and not answering my phone, right? Guys relate to that shit, right? And then I'm showing him that I know all about the drinking game. I am actually living this guy's experience and he's like, holy shit, that's me. And then anyway, if he is alcoholic, he will understand you at once. Boom. He understands me because he is me and I am him, right? He will match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own. And the mental inconsistencies, like I said, they're actually consistencies once you get good at this stuff, because you see that the inconsistencies are very common amongst all alcoholics and addicts. So it's, it's a consistent thing. Um, go down to the next paragraph, a couple lines down on it. Show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding the first drink pre prevents normal functioning of the will. Don't at this stage refer to this book unless he has seen it and wishes to discuss it. And be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Let, his, let him draw his own conclusions. So that's a line that I'm not going to agree with 100%. Okay. So as I'm describing the my own alcoholic cycle, my own experiences, behaviors, how I treat people, how I treat myself, the way that I hide from people, you know, what I'm doing with my children and how this is all kind of coming together so that he sees that we're the same. As we, as I get to know this guy too, sometimes I get to know these guys over three, four, five meetings, or I've gotten to know some of these guys over a year or two, some of them. So for me, you know, the rule of thumb is don't brand somebody an alcoholic, but I will say, fuck bro. You're fucked, man. You sound like me. You're pretty much a fucking alcoholic if you're asking me. And I will brand a guy an alcoholic. And I know a lot of people don't really like that, that I will do that. But fuck, that's how I roll. If, if I see that you're fucking an alcoholic and an addict, and it's pretty fucking plain to see, I'm going to just tell you. And I'm going to fucking tell you, like, if you... You can go try all these other methods. And what I'll also do is I'll be like, how many, how many times you tried to get sober? How long you been around? Well, I've been around AA for 10 years. Okay. That's good to know. Um, have you seen counselors and psychiatrists? Yeah. Yeah. I've been in psychiatry for fucking six years and I saw a counselor for four years and I, I've been seeing all these different people for all these times. And then I share my experience. And I'm like, you know how many people I've met that have fucking went to psychiatrists and psychologists and they get some relief? And I said, you get some relief, right? And then I'll talk about like the relief that the guy gets. And he'll be like, yeah, yeah. And I'll be like, and, and in the program, what have you done in the program? Well, fuck, I made it. You know, I've done the program. I'm like, okay, well, what do you mean you've done it? Well, I've made it up to step nine, like four times. I'm like, dude, you've never done the program. You've never done the program. You, you've barely done half. You probably got to your step nine and fucking what? You made two or three amends, probably to your mom and your dad and your fucking brother. Yeah, my mom, my dad, and my brother. I'm like, of course, because you, you fucking, those are the people you want back in your life the most because they're the ones that are going to give you the money and give you all the shit that you fucking need. So you really never made it to step nine at all because your motives weren't even fucking on, on track. So really you've made it to fucking basically step six and not even step six. Cause you weren't even willing. Cause you, you know, I'm, and I just show them this shit and they get hurt. Their feelings get hurt. Right. But that's okay. 
because that's the shit I'm piercing his pride with the fucking truth. And I'm not there to fucking butter this guy up and fucking hold his hand. Sometimes I need to care more about these guys' lives and their feelings. So I'm fucking telling them the truth. And what I just told you in a nutshell is the experience that I've had with so many people. So many people think they've done this program. They've never done the fucking program. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our directions. Most people haven't. And like I was at a meeting on Monday and like, you know, the first few shares were people that are really good members that have done this, but I've watched them for years. They got beat the fuck up by their substance. And then finally they did what was here and they've been sober for a number, number of years now. And you know, both these two people in particular that I'm thinking about had shared in the meeting, I'm not unique. And no, they're not really unique in the fact that they did what the book said and that the book and the program will give you the results that you fucking want in your life and more, way more. But they are unique in a sense. And I said that they're kind of like an anomaly because most people are not going to do this. And the real message in the rooms is not this book. So a lot of these people that think they've done the program, they've been sponsored by people that aren't in the book. They're just acting as their therapist on the phone calls that they call their sponsor. And they're not really doing the fucking work in the book. So, you know, so it's really like, I really like to tell people, no, you've never done the program. You've done your version of what you thought the program was. And, you know, with, with some you know, discernment here, that's what you've learned from the program that really isn't, they're not serving you by telling you the shit that they've told you. Anyway, and the thing about as we have this discussion, they've never had a discussion like this with anybody. So I stick out like a sore thumb. And Jesse talks about he doesn't remember the guy that fucking patted him on his ass and told him everything was going to be okay, because it's not going to fucking be okay for one. But he, he remembered the guy who fucking cut him. And I'm not saying that I'm there to cut the guy, but I'm there to tell him the fucking truth. So when he leaves and he's sitting at home, he remembers the fucking words that I've said in his head and it fucking starts sticking, hmm. right? Grenades. Yeah, the grenades. You're dropping grenades in their life. You're dropping bombs in their life. You're fucking destroying what they thought the program was because they don't know what the program is. Okay. Hmm. But insist that if he's severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. And that's part of what I'll do. I'll tell him I tried to quit. I did all the same things that you're doing, bro, until I did the steps. And maybe I don't talk a lot about God in these early stages. I said, until I did the steps, I could not stay sober. And I did the steps once. And here's the experience out of those six years before I did the steps. And they tell them about losing my house and my family and all this shit. And then how powerless I was. And I show them all the evidence of that powerlessness. And then I did the steps. I've never drank again. I've never put a crack pipe in my mouth again. And that has a fucking big impact right there. Because I showed them fucking all the evidence of how I couldn't do this. And I tried with my own power and I built this business and I did all these things. But when it came to this one area, substance abuse, 
it didn't, I couldn't stop until I did the steps. And then maybe I'll touch a little bit about the higher power part. You know, on the next page, it talks about, you know, talk about the spiritual feature freely. Well, I'll do that at some point, but sometimes, you know, I got to be tactful with that, right? I can't just blurt that shit out. Yeah. Anyway, um, explain that many are doomed that never realize their predicament. I'll use that line and share in the meeting. This is where you develop your sharing. The two predicaments that guys don't understand. And I think, you know, a lot of people do not understand the allergy part. They do not understand the spiritual malady part, but everybody does get the obsession part, whether they're in CBT recovery, whether in, they're in any type of other recovery, everyone talks about the obsession, but nobody talks about the allergy. Our world does not talk about the allergy. The only place we talk about the allergy is in the program. And I think the allergy is a massive component to this for people to really get what the illness is. So trying to help this guy understand the illness at the beginning is really important. Talking about my restless irritable discontent, and then I needed some type of relief to take the edge off of my life because the kids and the wife, the job and this, and then I would put that one in my body and I couldn't stop. And, but why did I put that in there? What is the restless cerebral discontent? But when I did put it in my body, the allergy part, all of these three components, as we discuss that, talking about the true predicament of this, this person. And then later, you can talk about the other predicament, really, which is selfish self-centeredness, which is really at the root of it all. But at first, that, that can't come to light too much at first because their brain's don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. So it's no use at first, unless the guy's been around a while. Um, other, Perry, other page 93. He has become very curious to know how you got well. That's where I tell him about the steps. That's the only thing that worked for me, bro. I did the steps and I've never drank again. Well, what are the steps? Well, I give him a quick overview of maybe what the steps are. But I really, what I emphasize is, dude, I'm going to walk with you hand in hand. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you the ropes. We'll grow and we'll learn together. And this relationship between me and you is probably the most important relationship in your life. Because if you don't have any sobriety, bro, you don't really have anything. And almost everyone will agree with that. And, mo and most guys don't really have a real relationship with God anyway at first. So the relationship with their sponsor is really important. It's probably the most important relationship of their life. And I let them know that. Why? Because I want the commitment from them. I want the commitment that they're invested. And there's a bit of a hierarchy here, right? I can't go in there as, you know, this is going to sound pompous to people that are listening at some point, maybe on the podcast, but I can't go in there just being equal because the, the hierarchy situation here teacher and student has a lot to do with this and once that teacher student relationship is broken <coughs> i'm not effective because his words are just as same as mine <clears throat> so i got to start with the hierarchy and i got to carry the hierarchy so i guess i'm going to touch on something else for you new sponsors as you guys are working with people through these processes of sponsorship and you develop some type of a friendship with them, you have to keep the hierarchy in effect because you will fuck up your relationship and you will not be effective, especially in around the step four and the five and the six. 
after the six and the seven in around there, you'll start trying to be more friends with them or they'll start being more friends with you. That's cool to a degree, but you have to fucking navigate and still keep this little bit of a hierarchy so that they listen to you because they're still very sick. They're fucking three months into this, two months into this, and they think they're well and they think that they're totally fucking going to be okay, but they're not, man. So I need my guys to respect what I'm saying all through it and i keep this hierarchy deal and i can still be friends with guys like i got guys three six years right behind me sober that we're friends to a degree but there's still something in this friendship where they fucking have a little more respect that i fucking have a little more knowledge or i have a little more something that they want and i think that's really important for me to be effective as a sponsor and help these guys with long-term sobriety Cause it really helps with that humility. And when I'm sponsored by my sponsor, I am the student too. I can share a lot of my experiences and bring some value, but I pick guys where I'm the fucking student and I set into the role that I'm the student. Cause I have to be, I need that humility. I need to be teachable. And I'll finish with this middle of 93. When dealing with such a person, you had better use everyday language to describe spiritual principles. So using everyday language is really important to describe these spiritual principles because new people will have a lot of prejudice against spiritual terms and trying to just relate on a ground zero level is really important because a lot of people are actually prejudiced just based on any of the lingo because it's like Chinese. You come into recovery your first time and you're fucking listening to a bunch of Chinese people speaking Chinese and you don't have a fucking clue. So I got to kind of keep this on a, a game page where these guys are understanding to some degree what we're talking about in a general way. And that makes me more effective. And as we go down the road, I can kind of ramp up these terms and I can get a little more deeper when they're ready. And also, again, I use tact and common sense. Anyway, that's it. Okay, so we already chatted about to commence to describe yourself as an alcoholic. So this... I just have a question. Sorry, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I saw that question. Just let me get to it here. You're talking about, uh, is it necessary for the DOC for you to chat about yeah, that? Yeah, it's, like it's, not, it's not. Okay. It has nothing to do with it. As okay. long as you, as long as you stick to the spirituality being the absolute most important, and then you stick to, you know, the feelings afterwards, or even things that would happen, the allergy, the body and the mental blank spot without exception hits every single addiction, no matter what it is. So that'll be crack. That'll be gambling. That'll be drinking all of it. So gotcha. like even this chat, even, so I'll skip ahead a little bit. We suggest you do this as we have done on the chapter of alcoholism. So as long as you understand the chapter more about out, like they really what they're saying, because before they say, don't refer to this book unless he wishes to see it. So that means in this first meet, you don't have the book there. That's what they've suggested. So what you're doing is you're actually reciting more about alcoholism from fucking memory. Right. But you could use that because <clears throat> You know, when we chat about, explain that many who are doomed or never realize their predicament, 
all of that, you know, like Bill had mentioned that the allergy to the body, a lot of guys don't understand. And that's true. Mental blank spot. Nobody fucking understands. Nobody understands that. They say, so like, even, even the way the rooms describe it is not from the book. Um, this, uh, the mental um, obsession, mental obsession. If we read anything to do with the literature, we don't obsess over the substance at all. That's not, that's not, we might obsess. So, you know what? Like I might think about the, I might think about the substance. It might crop into my mind a couple of times in the day, but then I think about the substance and I have a plausible excuse and I'm drunk. That's actually what we're talking about here. There is no obsession and Bill's right. Bill just said, it doesn't say obsession, right? So that's, you know, <clears throat> those are the types of things that you will bring in on any substance. I never talk about my substance ever. Okay. Although I hid everything, but I've sponsored yeah. guys who are fucking heroin addicts. I've never done heroin. Same with meth and same with crack cocaine. For me, it's Coke, uppers, alcohol, gambling, and the opposite sex. Right? But as soon as you start talking about, let's say it is crack, you just pigeonhole yourself. As soon as oh, I get up and I share in a meeting and I talk about alcohol, I'm now an alcoholic. I just pigeonhole myself here. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. but like also too, like, you know, you also got to remember like in that share, you talk about having two parents, right? You talk about, I'm from Ontario. You bring up Ontario. You say that I was poor. You, you know, the more you actually describe yourself, the more you pigeonhole yourself is why you keep it as generic as fucking possible. And you keep it to the book always. Thank you. Got right? you, man. Thanks. Yeah. Got you. But my hand to Christ, you do that. You could go into a CMA meeting and you could fucking, you're, you're predominantly an alcoholic, let's say, and you're sharing these guys are fucking, you know, Oh my God. Wow. You know, and that's, you. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's yeah. how we do it. That's how I do it. That's how fucking bill does it. Yeah. Just generic and don't talk about the DOC. Thanks man. hundred percent. But getting back to, so they expect you to understand the chapter on alcoholism and specifically what that is, is the mental blank spot, the plausible excuse the insane trivial excuse that Jim story talks about and the, and the other spiritual awakening that Fred gets to, they want you to understand both of that. And you are bringing that into that, in, into this talk, but I'll be completely honest with you. This whole piece, these two pages don't need to happen. These two pages can be rectified in um, the doctor's opinion. That's my first meet. So when I go to a meeting, I talk to a guy for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, like I shared last time I was talking. I don't consider that the first meet. The first meet, and I don't take guys out for coffee either, bro. That's not what I do. I've never fucking done that. I don't know if I ever will. Right? We want to get together, book right the fuck away, doctor's opinion immediately. And a lot of the stuff we're talking about gets rectified in that, at least 92. All of, 90, all of 92 that they're talking about will bust into that. I mean, essentially minus the mental obsession, their mental obsession, the mental blank spot, we don't chat about that. But for the most part, what we are getting to is we're getting to the malady. And that's the most important fucking thing. Right? When it talks about dwell, dwell on the troubles liquor has cost you. 
you know, when it talks about being able to bore open the feelings of desperation, there's very few chapters that'll do that or enable you to make that happen than the doctor's opinion. So explain that many who are doomed will never realize their predicament. Okay. And be careful not to brand him an alcoholic. Why? Because you want him to draw his own conclusions. So, you know, and how that information is being presented is that Alcoholics Anonymous or these programs, 12 step does not exist. And so every individual that you meet will be new to this program of the 12 steps in this book. So any new, as a rule of thumb, regardless of who I'm dealing with, I never brand them an alcoholic. Predominantly that has to do with, I sponsor a lot of new guys to the program. So I'll sponsor probably 60% of new guys to the program. The other 40% will be retreads. So I do not brand these guys alcoholics. Why that is, is because I want them to draw their own conclusions. And by the time they call themselves an alcoholic, that has more depth and weight. So generally what I'll say when I'm taking a man through the book, up until uh, we agnostic, if you're the real deal alcoholic, if you're the you know alcoholic this book's written for, these are the types of terms I'm going to say to them, right? And then I find almost like it makes this thing a little bit more exclusive to them in the conversations that we have, which I find to be pretty interesting. It's like, yeah, well, dude, maybe you're not an alcoholic. You know, if you're the real deal alcoholic, I don't call him an alcoholic. You might not be an alcoholic. It almost makes it a little bit more exclusive. I find where then he starts selling me that he's an alcoholic, right? And it's a pretty good mentality that he's getting into as we're reading this book. He's open to it. He's open to him being an alcoholic before the information is presented. And he's keyed into finding similarities between him and the book. And that's where the fuck we want him. Anyways, if I... If he calls himself an alcoholic before we get together, it makes little, it, who the fuck cares? You're not presented the information, right? You've never been through this book, right? Like 70%, I said, new guys to the program. And even the guys that are retreads, you know, a lot of the times they don't understand their true predicament. They don't understand anything to do with the mental blank spot. They do believe that it's an obsession. They don't understand that in the allergy of the body, their mind completely shuts down and the body takes over. And they don't understand the spirituality, the rest of suitable discontent, which is what kicks off everything in the first place, right? So they, they do not understand their true predicament. Says stress the speech or freely, uh, stress the spiritual feature freely. So in this piece, in the first meet, the doctor's opinion, there is no chats about anything spiritual. There is very little chats of any hope uh, on a solution around this thing. As we go through the book, the doctor's opinion that we're not tipping toe through the tulips. This is a very desperate, a very dismal and hopeless condition. And so is the conversation. And so is how I read the book. And so is my tone and everything to do with it. Now, outside of us reading the book and me driving the guy home, the conversations can be a little bit lighter. At the end of the day, I'm sober of this thing, right? So <clears throat> from the time that 
we met each other at the meeting and the conversations we had before going through the book, all of these are me and him matching mental inconsistencies. So although the conversation is as desperate as I could fucking make it, he knows that I'm sober. And up to this point, you know, he's probably heard me share. He's heard me talk a little bit. At least he feels something that I know what the fuck I'm talking about. So at the very least, it'll be hopeless, but not as hopeless as it could be, obviously. Uh, not typically. Read the question. Uh, so the question is, uh, if you qualify the, the individual, he's not a real deal alcoholic hard drinker. Do you continue to work with them even if they want to? So I, it is true that I've sponsored non-alcoholic people. My spouse has sponsored as an alcoholic has sponsored, you know, the women of the men that I've worked with. Uh, so it does happen, but you know, the odds of this individual being in the rooms and picking me as the guy is pretty slim. It's very slim. Generally it's the guys who are desperate, who have tried this for years, who really, they feel they need a hardliner they feel, you know, like there's a couple of things that they feel they need as to why they, they'll ask me. If they're a heavy drinker, the odds are they don't come near me. And I'd imagine Bill's much the same. And I get this question a lot from people who are newer to sponsorship. And the, the program says, you know, when the hand of AA reaches out for help, I want the hand of AA to always be there. And for that, I'm responsible. So that's part of like new people cutting your teeth. Like you're going to have to deal with non-alcoholics, maybe even some moderate drinkers and sponsor them. Maybe you even know that they're not right. But if they've asked you and you've agreed to take them through the steps and now you're on this journey with them while you're fucking in there. Yeah. And that's early sponsorship. And you're going to learn a lot through that stuff about the real deal alcoholic too. Right. And, and the non real deal alcoholic you'll learn like sometimes it's hard at first to identify between the heavy drinker and the real alcoholic because the, re the heavy drinker looks like the real alcoholic in many respects. But as you gain more traction, and even for me, sometimes it's still hard to discern. And I think the only real way I can discern this is what do they do for a program? And do they actually get better when they do less program? You know, so it's kind of hard to really figure out who is the heavy drinker and who is the real deal alcoholic. But at the end of the day, like Jesse said, usually typically we're going to get the real deal alcoholics. And uh, you guys who are newer may not get all of those real deal alcoholics, but you got to do it anyway. The odds are too, is if he's not the real deal, he's not going to go through the work. Yeah. Simple fact. So, you know, you could read the first number of chapters with him. And if he doesn't relate, the odds are he's going to fuck off, typically, right? You know, a, a, a lot of people say that, you know, the whole world can benefit from the 12 steps. I don't disagree, but you got to understand the amount of pain the alcoholic has to come around even to fucking glance at this work. And if you think the alcoholic is much different than normal people, pride hits everybody. And just pride alone will keep your average person from doing this work and expecting some and accepting something of a higher power. Okay. Next question. How long do you spend on each step? Uh, or how do you know how long they need to spend before moving forward? What is the green light or red light? The context behind the question concerns small town AA and smaller rooms. Assuming <clears throat> that they are following the directions given. 
But to give more context, how do you determine if the step is actually producing change or if they are just skimming through it? How, how, to you, how do you hold it? Okay, so number one is, as far as I'm concerned, at least from one to four, you're not going to get fuck all. From one to four, the odds are of them getting any sort of real dramatic change is not going to happen five on. When you're looking at step one, you want them to have realizations, okay? Especially in the way of the uh, mental blank spot, the allergy of the body, and the, um, and the spiritual malady. Quite typically, step one through three will be done in, well, I guess one through four, by the time he leaves me on resentments, it's going to be three um, sessions. It's going to be two and a half to three hour sessions a piece. Each session, we will do a chapter and a half. And that gets you up to four. Typically a four will be three weeks. Then we'll do the five. Five will be anywhere from eight to 10 hours typically. And then from there, it'll be um, a session a week until he's done. The latter steps is a session a piece. Six through seven will be a session. I'll leave him on eight. Nine and 10, 10 is its own session, 11 and, and 12 is it's all of that's its own session. So typically after it's all said and done, you're looking at anywhere from three months to four months for an individual to be fully 12 step. And that depends upon the step four, right? I might get him to do the step four in a week, right? I might even give him a month depending on if he has a family and other shit like that. So or just it'll take fucking two months. Yeah. I, like a guy won't take two months with me. He has up to a month or I will, or he's looking for another sponsor. I'm very hard. That's probably one of the harder things I am around is that. And so I'll give him an extra week. I'll let him know, listen, you fuck around, you're gone. Right. And then I will press the red button and say, look for another sponsor. So I want to touch base on a couple of things. I just want to reiterate. There's a theme here in this step 12. The theme is, as we are sharing in the rooms, talking about that step one material, using the step one material in your shares, tying and looping in the different aspects of the step one material, regardless of what the substance is, makes you effective. Getting good at your step one delivery and tying in these pieces within that step one and then delivering that in a fucking good way, you don't need to worry about what the substance is that they're addicted to. Like I've, I've worked with people where they've never even asked me about the substance because I've been able to connect so much to, to the other aspects of the step one, right? The feelings and the emotions and the behaviors and, and all of these things. And that's what really matters, right? <clears throat> so that's a big one. Like really hone in your step one sharing, right? Your step one, step two sharing. Um, you know, you can tie some of the step one sharing into the step four stuff, right? And, and you get really good at kind of tying all this stuff together. And, and in five minutes share, you can fucking deliver a lot of material. But it, you get versed in the material through sponsorship. That's how this happens. And then the other thing I want to highlight is the way Jesse talked about as you go through the step one material with somebody, there's a tone and there's a way that you go through that step one material with somebody. If you're going through it all happy and joyfully and skipping through the tulips in step one, they're not going to be fucking humbled. 
They need to feel the pain of step one as you go through the material. Because that step one material, as you're delivering it, you start to learn how to deliver it in a way that they're fucking feeling that shit and they don't like it, right? And it's important to fucking be mindful of what you're doing to deliver the material. And you get better at it with time and you get better at it as you see guys relapse and people die. You'll get better at it. You get more convicted on it. Um, and then the other thing I want to talk about that Jesse talked about in the doctor's opinion, we keep to the literature in a step one monotone delivery talking about the true predicament. So I'm going to put a twist on that. As I take some of these constant chronic relapsers or people that are sober for years that want to be leveled up, I take a little bit different approach in that step one doctor's opinion in step one altogether. So when I'm going through it with somebody that's four years or eight years or 10 years sober already, that doesn't have a clue really about the defective character, there's certain aspects of the doctor's opinion that I'm really going to highlight as super important. One of them is the first page of the doctor's opinion, where it talks about working with others as part of his rehabilitation. He commenced to present his conceptions to others. Typically, the guy I'm working with hasn't sponsored people or gave it a lackluster effort and fucking hasn't taken it seriously. And then on the next page, second page, talks about we work out our solution on the spiritual and altruistic plane. And I talk about the self-sacrifice and what that means. I talk about the altruistic plane. I talk about the importance of the spiritual disciplines, right? I talk about the spiritual malady, the alcoholic cycle that has nothing to do with the substance anymore. It has to do with all the other behaviors that go into the alcoholic cycle. But this is a little bit different approach because I sponsor so many people that are, you know, just dry, right? So... I just wanted to add those points in there. Okay. So I'm just, I'm going to answer this question quickly here. Okay. Are there some specific tips for cross-checking the effectiveness of four to six to make sure they are actually experiencing change? What I suggest you do is you go back to the backlog of uh, our sessions on four through six. We spent four sessions alone on six. You'll find your answer there. I'm going to finish this up quick. We're going to take a five-minute break, okay? So <clears throat> when dealing with such a person, you better use everyday language to describe spiritual principles. Don't raise such issues, no matter what your own convictions are. There's very few things in the rooms that fucking drive me up the wall. And we're talking like... I've done a lot of work on my anger. We're talking zero to a hundred split second. We start talking Jesus Christ in the rooms. There's nothing that drives me up the wall more. And it's not that I don't think that that could be beneficial to the individual talking about it. And if that's where they choose to go, God bless you. That's fucking great. That is lovely. Why I don't like it. It is, it, it is extremely dangerous to the new individual in the room, depending on where you are, right? Because this isn't, and not everybody here is Calgary. A lot of guys are rural here. You got to remember, you, you got to remember that the Lord's Prayer at the end of a meeting is very prevalent. We're talking about nine out of 10, probably 10 out of 10 meetings do that, right? So you talk about Jesus Christ in the fucking room, right? And then there's a collection plate that goes around. And we end it with the Lord's prayer. I mean, this individual is walking the fuck out of there thinking, I know what this is all about. I know what this is all about. 
right? So that's in regards to the rooms, in regards to your own sponsees. If that's your own convictions, keep it to your fucking self, okay? You, a lot of the times, no matter like, you know, you're growing a ponytail and you're sitting on pillows and you're doing our prayers and you're listening to fucking whales music and all that. Keep that out of your fucking sponsorship unless you get to the ladder steps. When you get to the ladder steps, you might be able to give this individual some practical advice, obviously, in regards to step 11. But you are keeping that out of the first meet 100 fucking percent. I don't even, we don't even get to anything close to those conversations until we're in We Agnostic. This, this book itself and the chapters within the book unlock one to another. So when we're in step one, I'd like to keep us solely focused on the malady. That's the only shot I get at actually properly surplanting a step one, a gut level concession is what I'm trying to do right? And if I take us over here to spirituality, and I take us over here to inventory, and I take us over here to fucking amends, and I, you understand where I'm going with it, that we could get way off fucking track, where it's laser focused solely on step one, okay? And with that, we'll take, okay, we are back. All right, so 94, outline the program of action, explaining how you made a self-appraisal, how you strained out your past and why you're, you are now endeavoring to be helpful to him. It is important for him to realize your attempt to pass this on plays a vital part in your own recovery. Actually, he may be helping you more than you are helping him. Make it plain that he is under no obligation to you, that you hope only that he will try to help others when he escapes his own difficulties. Suggest how important it is that he place the welfare of other people ahead of his own. Make it clear that he is under that he is not under pressure, that he needn't see you again if he doesn't want to. You should not be offended if he wants to call it off, for he has helped you more than you have helped him. If your talk has been sane, quiet, full of human understanding, you have perhaps made a friend. Maybe you have disturbed him of the question of alcoholism. This is all for the good. The more hopeless he feels, the better. He will be more likely to follow your suggestions. Your candidate may give reasons why he need not follow all of the program. He may rebel at the thought of a drastic house cleaning, which requires discussion with other people. Don't contradict such views. Tell him you once felt as he does, but you doubt whether you would have made much progress had you not taken action. On your first visit, tell him, the tell him about the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. If he shows interest, lend him your copy of this book. Unless your friend wants to talk further about himself, do not wear out your welcome. Give him a chance to think it over. If you do stay, let him steer the conversation in any direction he likes. Sometimes a new man is anxious to proceed at once, and you may be tempted to let him do so. This is sometimes a mistake. If he has trouble later, he is likely to say that you rushed him. You will be most successful with alcoholics if you do not exhibit any passion for crusade or reform, never talk down to an alcoholic from any spiritual or moral hilltop. Simply lay out the kit of spiritual tools for his inspection. Show him how they worked with you. Offer him friendship and fellowship. Tell him that if he wants to get well, you will do anything to help. If he's not interested in your solution, if he expects you only to act as a banker for his financial difficulties or a nurse for his sprees, you may have to drop him until he changes his mind. This he may do after he gets hurt some more. 
if he is sincerely interested and wants to see you again, ask him to read the book in the interval. After doing that, he must decide for himself whether he wants to go on. He should not be pushed or prodded by you, his wife, or his friends. If he is to find God, must come from within. If he thinks he could do the job in some other way or prefer some other spiritual approach, encourage him to follow his own conscience. We have no monopoly on God. We merely have an approach that worked with us. But point out that we alcoholics have much in common and that you would like in any case to, let, to be friendly. Let it go with that. Okay. So, top of page 40, uh, 94. It is important for him to realize that your attempt to pass this on plays a vital part in your own recovery. Actually, he may be helping you more than you are helping him. So never say that. <laughs> Under any circumstances, will you say that to a new uh, individual that you're working with? And this kind of, you know, Bill had mentioned something of a hierarchy. You know, it is, you know, the, it is the, the, the sponsor and the sponsee. It is the mentor and the mentee. There is a dynamic here. And uh, if you remember when we went through the first number of chapters, how I keep that dynamic straight is I will ask him a whole bunch of loaded questions in the literature. He won't answer them. I know he won't answer them. And that's how I keep this thing in line. That yes, you can answer it. That's why I'm taking you through the book. Let's not get confused. And a lot of the times you have to do that with retread guys. Like a guy who's a retread and been around for 10, 15 years. He thinks that that's 10, 15 years of knowledge in the book. And that's really 10, 15 years on how to fuck up and get drunk. Right? Okay. So, but you know what? Like, I really implore you to try that. To sponsor two individuals and one you're a little bit of a hardliner you're trying to keep that dynamic straight the other one maybe you feel you know that he's gonna fuck you around maybe he's already asked for you uh, asked you for a couple 20 spots and say actually no you're helping me more than i'm thank you so much for your time and and all that other stuff and you see you see how he treats you he will fuck around with your time he oh Oh, you know, he answers the phone. He's got no job. He's got no place to be. Oh, sorry, Jess, I'm busy right now. Well, fuck off. I'll call you. Call me later type of idea. You see, right? You see. And so you never say that. But there is the opportunity that he's helped you more than you've helped him because in actuality, how this book is written right now for the time, given all the information, you've chatted with the hospital, you met this guy in the hospital room, you didn't drink, right? And so that is the original context in which they're talking about. You didn't drink. You weren't thinking of yourself. You were trying to pack into the stream of life. Like Bill had mentioned, you had used one of your greatest deficits in life up to a certain point as a shining positive. And that experience can benefit this man. That's what they're talking about. Can you... I remember you telling me stories about, and I used it after you, you told me that, where the, the guy's ego would reassert itself and he's like trying to sponsor you now in the car and you're like handing him the book and say, fucking sponsor me. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, fuck. I've done that a couple of times. The first time I did that, I, yeah, obviously I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I don't even know how I'm sober. Here, here's the book. Let's, you, you, you take me through the book. And I remember the last time I did this was very funny. This is with a guy I sponsored many years ago, probably one of my first 10 sponsees. 
and he's gotten a new sponsor. And what he likes doing is he likes calling me every couple of months. And he's like, oh, Jess, I'm doing great. And essentially the call is go fuck yourself. I don't need you. I'm doing good now. But then he doesn't, I said every three months, because he gets drunk every three months, eh? And then when he gets sober, he calls me. And it's, you know, the call is a fuck you. I got a new sponsor, right? So the last time he called me, maybe six months ago now, it's been a little while. And uh, we're going back. And he's like, oh, I'm learning so much. This guy's teaching me so much and blah, blah, blah. And I said to him, I said, wow, this is amazing. I've never heard anything close to, you know what? You should really, you know, let's get together. You take me through the book. He said, yeah, Jess, no problem. I fucking love to do that and blah, blah, blah. Haven't heard from him in six months, most likely because he drank. When he's sober, he loves calling me and kind of trying to rub my face in it, right? So six months, I'm going to assume that he's fucking drunk. But that's what we're talking about. When this ego reasserts itself, it is some, especially if you are properly spiritually grounded, you know, when you're right with God and you're right with your fucking pillars and you're making God-centered decisions, this shit is some of the funniest fucking stuff you will ever be witness to. It is a fucking comedy. It, it's a comedy until it's a tragedy because the God's honest truth is I'm laughing at this guy you know, there's a very good chance that he fucking dies. That's the reality of what we're talking about. Up until that point, it's a fucking comedy. But of course, when that happens, and it's very fucking difficult to deal with. I've known the guy for almost six fucking years, for as long as I've been sober, right? So when he escapes his own difficulty, so uh, you hope that he will try to help other alcoholics when he escapes his own difficulties. That's not a negotiation. That's not a point that, you know, maybe please, sir, uh, you know, I'm saying this to my sponsor, you know, please, if you wouldn't mind sponsoring guys, that's a non-fucking negotiable. And if that is a problem, then you could find somebody else to sponsor you. Bottom. And this is why, why I'm a hardliner and same with Bill. I mean, Bill's a little bit softer, but don't be fooled. He is fucking tough. I've, I've heard the way he handles guys. He is tough. Maybe you've disturbed him in the question of alcoholism. This is all for the good. The more hopeless he feels, the better he is more likely to follow your suggestions. That is why. That is why I talk to guys the way I do. And so this is why, you know, I had mentioned I love taking, this isn't my favorite chapter for myself or for my own program. This is my favorite chapter to take other men through. Because when I take them through this chapter, everything, I'm pulling back the fucking curtains on the whole operation. He's able to see the one horse fucking pony show right then and there. Why I talk to him the way I do, why I suggest certain things the way I do everything. He's able to see it, all of it, right? And so now it all makes sense to him that maybe Jesse's not just a hard ass just because he's a sick, sadistic fuck. He's a hard ass for a purpose. These, all these things kind of come into line. I am a little bit of a sadist, but you know, I get to justify it with what I just mentioned here. So maybe you're disturbed in the question of alcoholism. This is all for the good. You know, he's more likely to follow your suggestions. So the harder you are, the more real you are, especially from the hopelessness of this condition. But when we talk about the spirituality, when we're talking about the mental blank spot, the harder you are on that, the more hopeless he feels, the more likely he is to follow your suggestions. Uh, 95, halfway through the paragraph. You will be most successful with alcoholics if you do not exhibit any passion for crusade or reform. So if you remember, the last kind of suggestion that was close to this was evangelist, like a Georgia preacher going to these guys from the spiritual aspect. And so now what we're talking about is we're talking about, 
you know, passion for crusade or reform, like I sponsor guys, I change their lives. Their lives will fucking change. This program will change their lives. This type of thing, like, it's like this guy asked me to sponsor him and I light up like a fucking Christmas tree. And I'm like, oh my God, yeah, I'll sponsor you. Your life will be amazing and blah, blah, blah. None of that. He asked me to sponsor him, very business oriented. Yeah, sounds good. Here's my number. You know, call me. You know, you call me tomorrow. That's great. We'll get moving. You don't, my life moves the fuck on, right? Very business oriented. Never talked down to an alcoholic from any moral or spiritual hilltop. That sounds very easy, but it's actually not. I mean, some of the things these guys are doing or some of the things these guys have done, you know, can turn you right off. You know, not so much from a swearing or spinning standpoint, but like I've had grand sponsees that I, that, that I dealt with a couple of years ago and the shit they'll do to pick up women. Like I had one guy would go down to the, it was pretty fucked. He was in at one of the treatment centers. He's going down to the DI to pick up women, right? And, uh, you know, that surface, I, you know, we could get into it. I could burn some time talking about it. Moral of the story is, is it's actually not easy to do that at times to not be like, what the fuck are you doing? That's crazy. The guy's not my sponsor and he's early and he's early sponsorship. My sponsor didn't even take him through the book. Now, if I was working with him and we're going from one to four, we're done a five then we're going to start correcting that after I've, after I've seen, you know, the way his conduct is throughout his whole life, I could use that information and I could start fucking castrating some of these things. But up to that point, I have absolutely nothing to stand on in order to try and recorrect some of these things. So although that may sound like it's easy, sometimes it's fucking not right. And for the most part, if I'm sponsoring this guy, I have to wait it out until five. If I'm not sponsoring this guy, I have no opinion. If he asks for my opinion, then that's a different story. If he's welcomed my opinion, then there's a good chance he's getting fucking both barrels, right? And why I'm going to give him both barrels is because I want him to be where we just chatted about, right? I want him to feel disturbed in the question of alcoholism. And this will be like, you know, six months on step four, three months, no sponsor. These are the types of things like, what the fuck are you doing around here? And that'll be the type of conversation. If he asks me, if he doesn't ask me, I don't go around throwing my opinions. It's an absolute waste of my energy. Second paragraph, nurse for his spree. So if he asks you out, a banker for his financial difficulties, a nurse for his sprees. Both of them sound pretty you know, almost self-explanatory. Nurse for his sprees is that he has done the spree, not willing to do the work. Um, he's emerging remorseful, the firm resolution not to drink again. He's done this multiple times. He doesn't want to go through the fucking steps. You know, there's a good chance you just say fuck off until you're ready, right? Uh, you know, if the guy keeps on asking you for 20 spots, he's not willing to do the work, fuck off until you're ready. But, you know, a guy can be 12 stepped and he could be doing character defect nurse for his sprees. And I've seen this before. I've experienced this before. Uh, sometimes guys will correct it uh, through the six and seven. Sometimes guys won't and you'll have to let them go, right? So there is, you know, the alcohol aspect of nurse for his sprees, which is actually what we're talking about 
But what I'm taught, which is self-explanatory, but what I'm talking about is a character defect nurse for his freaks. He could do this in the finance area. He could do this in the career area. Odds are he's going to try and do it in the opposite sex area. And again, if you have the information from the five, then you are going to utilize that information. Okay. If he is to find God, the desire must come from within, right? So if a guy doesn't even fucking ask me to sponsor him and he asks somebody else to ask me, where's the desire, right? If the guy doesn't want to meet me on the first meet, right? Or a guy can't even call me the fucking day after, where's the desire? The guy wants me to pick him up on the first meet that, you know, I may, may or may not buy him a coffee. God knows I'm going to be talking the whole fucking time anyways. He's just going to have to shut up and listen, right? But if you can't meet me for that, right? You, you start seeing all these little small things as the desire. And if you can't even, honestly, if he, if he can't even call me and he doesn't call me the day after, then yes, he has helped me more than I have helped him because he hasn't wasted my fucking time, if that makes any sense. Okay, and then just the end of the paragraph, let it go with that. Be friendly and let it go with that. And so, you know, if you're kind of working with a guy and, you know, he fucks you off and then eventually you get him on the phone and he says, listen, Jess, the program's not for me, whatever. You know, you might inquire a little bit, well, what exactly is not for you? Maybe he says the spiritual aspect, whatever. And if that's a conversation, then that's fine. Let it go with that. But if the conversation is, you know, the program doesn't work, uh, the conversation is everybody in the program, it, you know, it, it, the whole thing's a lie and blah, blah, blah. If he's talking to me, like if he wants to fuck off, that's perfectly fine. But if he has some wild delusions that are complete errant nonsense, I will correct those delusions. Then I will let it go with that. So like, you know, a guy will say the program doesn't work. I'll say, okay, what, what about myself? What about myself? right? He has nothing to say. I don't really care. I'm not selling him on the program. I don't, I could, I really don't give a fuck. This program is set up in such a way that any alcoholic addict, addicted person can sober up if they have the willingness. And I don't have the time to sell this guy on this thing. There has been times that I have done that, but it's very intuitive. It's very intuitive. And so sponsorship is generally very intuitive. But when we're talking about blanket, you know, every time a guy wants to fuck off, I'm, I'm pleading him to come back. I don't fucking think so. Why that is, because it has to do with energy. I do not have the energy to displace on that when I sponsor five, eight guys generally right now. My whole, my whole sponsorship career, 10 to 12 guys. Three-month cycles, 10 to 12 guys. And I do not have the time. But anyways, if a sponsee wants to fuck you off, that's fine. Let it go with that. Be friendly. Let it go with that. I always say my phone's always on. Call me anytime. Right? Be friendly and let it go with that, Bill. Okay. Just going to touch on a couple points. Back on 94, Jesse talked about maybe you've disturbed him on the question of alcoholism. This is all to the good. The more hopeless he feels, the better. He more likely will follow your suggestions. And that comes back again to sharpening your shares sharpening the later share sharpening the defective character shares you know uh collecting the data through sponsorship so i think i'm i'm really good at this part in the meetings in the rooms 
I disturb people on the question of alcoholism. And I don't really mean the substance. Of course, I mean the substance to whatever degree, but I'm talking about the defective character and the behaviors and the mental and consistent inconsistencies of the alcoholic. And when I deliver the message, people a lot of times get fucking like upset or fucking they're like, who the fuck is this guy think he is or whatever the fuck it is that they think. You know, I remember for quite a while there, I was going to meetings and I was fucking introducing myself. And then I would say, if you're from a treatment center, I'd say, welcome, enjoy your free fucking sobriety. And, you know, and, and the counselors and the people that run the centers are actually in the rooms with their guys. And this room's full with 50 treatment center people. And I'm saying, enjoy your free fucking sobriety because that's all you fucking got. You know how many people I had come up to me after those meetings and say, when you said that, it hit me right in the fucking head because that is exactly my experience. I've been to 10 treatment centers. I've been to five treatment centers. I've been to, you know, so there is some people that it's hitting and they're going, holy shit, this is fucking true. And I often say to the treatment center people also in the meetings, you know, your, your recovery program starts the minute you get out of treatment. Like there's many things that I will say that will disturb the person on the question of alcoholism. Why? Because it's all to the good. They have a better chance of following our suggestions. And the proof is actually in the pudding when I can fucking show you all the data and all the success that comes out of piercing their pride with the truth. Fuck, it's actually, it pays off. It pays great dividends for me as a sponsor and for me in the lineage of sponsees that I've sponsored. And in the community in general, it's really paid off in a good way. And again, back to that old comment, you know, sometimes I got to care more about the person's life than their feelings. I got to tell them the truth. I can't just always pat them on the ass and say things are going to be okay. You're going to be okay. It's not going to fucking be okay. If you don't have a psychic change, if you don't get the fucking true predicament of your situation here, things are not going to be fucking okay. And down the road, the true predicament has to do with the defective character, selfish, self-centeredness. And that's where I really disturb the people on the question of alcoholism, talking about sex in the rooms and 13 stepping and, and anger and fucking, you know, putting work first and putting all this other bullshit first before your recovery, you know, and, and people don't want to hear that, right? <clears throat> so honing your share through the other steps not just step one, but through the step two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, kind of getting better at all of it is really important. And the only way to really get good at that is through sponsorship and being back in the material and collecting the data from one person, the one person, the one person, each person you sponsor, you collect more data, whether they're alcoholic or non-alcoholic, the moderate drinker, heavy drinker, the real deal alcoholic, you know, different races and ethnic, ethnicities. Like, it's really cool to really get into this because the different ethnicities of people, there's, there's so much data behind each race that you sponsor. There's so many reasons why people do the things they do based on a lot of the race that they're brought up in, the culture that they're brought up in. Like, it's really interesting. And it's kind of like, it's like you're studying something and you just get good at studying it. And then it really helps you be impactful in the world. 
K over to 95, a little bit down in that first paragraph. Sometimes the new man is uh, anxious to proceed at once. You may be tempted to let him do so. This is sometimes a mistake. If he has trouble later, he is likely to say that you rushed him. If a guy wants to get going and we've qualified and I've qualified him and we're moving and he's fairly new, I'm fucking moving on that shit. And I don't really like this is one line in the book I don't agree with through my own experience, right? I'm fucking moving on the steps with him. I'm going to show him the step one. I'm going to talk about the allergy, the obsession, and the peculiar mental twist, the blank spots, the spiritual malady. I'm going to talk all about that shit because the seeds get planted. You start dropping the little bombs and planting the seeds in these guys' heads. Even if they fucking did move too fast, that stuff doesn't go away. And that, those are the little, little seeds are what's going to bring them back to the program. Because he's going to go try the psychiatrist and the psychologist and the counselor and working out and yoga and all these things. And then he's going to come back because those seeds were planted. And had I fucking not done that, those seeds wouldn't have got planted. Um, middle of the page, Jesse touched on it. I'm going to touch on it. If he is not interested in your solution. Oh, okay, hold on. Offer him friendship and fellowship. Tell him that if he wants to get well, you'll do anything to help. So I'm going to offer the person friendship and fellowship, but this is not a friendship. Like the deal is not we're like going into this as friends. Creator decides that shit. Creator decides if we're friends down the road. So this isn't like a friendship in the way that me and Jesse are buddies. I'm going to offer you friendship and fellowship and I will do anything to help. I will match your fucking willingness with my willingness. Whatever you're willing to do, I'll, I'll meet you there and I'll meet you there. And sometimes maybe you got more willingness, which is great because then you light a fire under my ass a little bit. But if he is not interested in your solution, if he expects you to act only as a banker for his financial difficulties or a nurse to sprees, you may have to drop him until he changes his mind. This he may do after he gets hurt some more. The thing with you new sponsors is you got to take this, this line with a grain of salt when it comes to the alcoholic or the addict working in their cups, working in their substance. Because you're going to have to deal with more fucking around in this area than I would. Because you got to learn how to cut your teeth. You might have to take a guy who's a chronic relapser and maybe work with him and try him three or four times. I had a sponsor come up to me the other day. He's uh, two years sober. He's been sponsoring some guys. He sponsored this guy, got him 12 step. The guy seemed to be doing well. <clears throat> you could see that he was going down banana peel trail. Sure enough, he went down banana peel trail and he picked up. And then the sponsee asked my sponsee to sponsor him again. So my sponsee came to me and said, I think I'm going to drop him because of this, this, and that. And I'm like, no, dude, you don't just drop him because he's relapsed once and you did get him through the steps. You got to fucking give him another shot. Maybe you got to give him two more shots. For me, it's typically three times. If, if a guy I work with three times and he relapses, I become ineffective for the most part. I'm not going to say that hard and fast line, but I'm going to say it like 95%, three times on a relapse. A lot of the value that I bring, I fucking can't bring it again for this guy. So then maybe I can refer him to Jesse or to somebody else that I know that maybe has a little bit different approach and he becomes open to a new experience. So that's important for you new guys. Now back to what Jesse was talking about in the defective character, you know, this is the big one. Like a lot of guys will fuck around. They're not ready to be the men from the boys, right? 
They're not ready for the man to the boys or from the ladies to the girls. And they will still really act out and be deceitful and lying and manipulative. And especially like Jesse said, in the opposite sex, and they're not changing a lot of these behaviors. And the reason that they usually come to a guy like me is because they really want to change that shit. And to me, like, fuck, if you ain't changing, then fucking what are we doing here? Like, I'm, I don't have anything for you. If you're not willing to fucking put the effort in to change this shit, then I really got nothing for you. And those relationships that start out in the work, they usually just fleet away and they're fucking, I still talk to these guys. Like there's a few I can think of in my head that really wanted some change and we've worked together, but I can see the evidence. And the funny thing is, is I get calls, right? People tell me that these guys are doing these things or I, I can see it or, you know, I, I feel the feedback. And I know they're not changing and they're not doing it. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm not going to fucking whip them, but in, I'm not, I got nothing for them. So these relationships by nature will fucking fleet and they'll be dismissed because they don't want to really look at this stuff. So they don't really back engage me to, to get into the work anymore. And that's fine. Like, honestly, I do care because I want them to change. But on the other flip of the coin, I could care less. As long as they don't drink, they got a chance at changing. And maybe they'll fucking get it later because I have seen people get it. Okay. Um, and lastly, if he thinks he can do the job on some other way, he prefers some other spiritual approach, encourage him to follow his own conscience. We have no monopoly on God. In any case, be friendly. Let it go with that. You know what? I've heard it so many times people, you know, they don't really like whatever aspect or like Jesse said, I've heard this one too. You know, I think the program and the people in it are fucking a bunch of bullshitters. They fucking say one thing, but I see them doing another. I don't want to be any part of that. Very similar to Jesse. I will try to do my best to try to really tell them, well, the, the program is people and people are messed up, but the program itself is actually has tangible results. And then I'll show them a number of people who are really living this and doing this. Because like I said earlier in this program, a lot of people aren't doing this, but there are some that are. And you can really pull those people up, show them that, but you got to let them go. And typically they will be back and you just be friendly and let it go with that. I don't get at all upset when I get let go as a sponsor or if I get talked about poorly, it's fucking not my business. It's not my business. And I just let it go with that. And I, when I see somebody that maybe has had some harsh words for me, or they have let me go as a sponsor. I always say hi to them. I always go up to them. I never let them feel bad or guilty or shameful. And through me going to say hi, whatever resentment they have against me, it fucking disintegrates because they see that I'm the guy with character. And that's what this is really about. And I can show my sponsees the same thing that I'm preaching to them or telling them to do. I'm doing it. And I don't want a resentment either, right? So, and I know that resentments can subtly get their little roots in there that I don't even think consciously it's a resentment, but I've learned this the hard way. They're the fucking worst resentments to get rid of for me. So I fucking counteract that by going and talking to the people that maybe I might not think I have a resentment, but it's kind of subtly rooting in. I just don't let that be an option anymore. That's it. Okay, we're going to slightly go a little bit over, maybe 15 minutes or so. 
96. <clears throat> Don't be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. Search out another alcoholic and try again. You're sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you have to offer. We find it a waste of time to ch uh, keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. To spend too much time on any one situation is to deny some other alcoholic an opportunity to live and be happy. One of our fellowship failed entirely with his first half dozen prospects. He often says that if he had, uh, if he had continued to work on them, he might have deprived many others who have since recovered of their chance. Suppose now you're making your second visit to a man. He has read the volume and he is prepared to go along with the 12 steps of the program of recovery. Having had the experience, you could offer him much practical advice. Let him know you are available if he wishes to make a decision and tell his story, but do not insist upon it if he prefers to consult someone else. He may be broke he may be broke and homeless. If he is, you might try to help him about getting a job or give him a little financial assistance, but you should not deprive your family or creditors of money they should have. Perhaps you will want to take the man into your home for a few days, but be sure, but be sure you use discretion. Be certain he will be welcomed by your family uh, and that he is not trying to impose upon you for money, connections, or shelter. Permit this and you only harm him. You'll be making it possible for him to be insincere. You may be aiding in his destruction rather than his recovery. Okay. So uh, 96, first paragraph. Okay. We find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. And so in this situation, you'll find less is more. Much, much like in sales, you don't want to be too incessant, right? You don't really want to over-communicate. Um, you know, if you have a point to get across, then you get that point across, right? And that's essentially what they're talking about the first meet. You've already got the point across, right? You want to let it, give it a fucking cool off period, right? The best shot you got is that you will be packing the pipe so much in guys You'll almost forget about this guy who's now calling you. Who's your name? Yeah, Jerry? Okay, yeah, I remember you. Okay, you want to meet tomorrow. That type of idea. That's what you want to do. For rural areas, it's difficult. It's, it's, it's more difficult. I mean, Calgary's 1.3 million. We have maybe five treatment centers, three of which are phenomenal, two of which are really good for getting guys. And we have over 100 meetings a week. I mean, COVID really dampened everything I've just said. But, you know, now we're starting to lighten up a little bit. So for me and Bill to get guys, it's fucking a joke. It's not very difficult. There's enough guys out there. Rural areas, a little bit more difficult. The only thing I'd suggest for a rural area is that you try and pack in to the stream of uh, the program there, the meetings, the guys there. If there's a treatment center, you latch onto that fucking immediately. And then if you're finding it difficult, you might want to <clears throat> compensate that with some sort of volunteer work. You're going to want to pack into the stream of life. Regardless, it doesn't really matter whether you sponsor guys or not. The end result is packing into the stream of society, into your community. So if you find that you can, can't get as many guys as, you know, a Calgary 1.2 million, then I suggest you start, you know, 
diversified and packing into the stream of society or, or your community. So that's that. Uh, let him know you are available if he wishes to make a decision, tell his story. Okay, so further than that, it says, um, suppose you're now making the second visit to a man, okay? And so just to reaffirm that we all know what the fuck we're talking about here. So page 91, all the way to 96, all that information was given for the first meet. It's a lot of information. That's all your information on the first meet. Now we're busting into the second meet. He has read this volume and he is prepared to go through with, uh, he's prepared to go through the 12 steps of the program of recovery. That means that you left this gentleman, your book. He has read the fucking book himself and is now making the decision to go through the program. Having had the experience yourself, you could give him much practical advice. There are only two things in early sponsorship that you are, to, I guess three things. You are to give him practical advice. It says you are available um, if he wants to make a decision and tell his story. What step is make a decision? Somebody can uh, say whatever it is. Step three. Step three. That's right. So in early sponsorship, he reads the book and fucking self. You give him some practical advice throughout the full 12 steps. You are there for step three. If he wishes to make a decision, you're also there for him to tell a story. What step is that? Step five. Step five. Step five. You will realize, though, although the sponsorship aspect through the 12 steps seems light, there's a ton of shit that you aren't doing anymore. One of which, there was no 1939, there was no government funding for this at all. And in turn, there was no treatment centers. There was no detoxes. And so this book and the way it's written, you are the detox now right? You are bringing a man into his house, um, into your house. And there's a piece on the next page that busts into all that shit. I'm not going to share on it now, but although the sponsorship aspect seems light, you are building this thing. You're actually building the program in your community, which is not light. So although we read a book to the man and we take him through every step, it's extremely fucking light compared to what the forefathers had to do. And there's just one thing I want to share on very quickly that we touched upon, uh, that Bill touched upon. And he, he touched upon the fact that, um, you know, a new man might be anxious if we start with him. That is true in the context of what this is, right? So like this program wasn't around for 80 plus years, right? 1939, this is all new. I believe that's what they're talking about. The concepts are new. The whole thing is new. And it's proven with the first hundred, essentially, by the time this book is written, right? For right now, at least society has some sort of idea around addiction. This program holds a lot of depth and weight in society, although it's still um, anonymous. Uh, you know, the medical fraternity is aware of us, right? So we have much more, we have something to stand up that this man start with us right away, as opposed to 1939. He may be broken homeless. If he is, you might try to help him about getting a job. Give him a little financial assistance. 
says at the bottom here, be certain he will be welcomed by your family and that he is not trying to pose upon you for money, connections, and shelter. So typically the rule of thumb is, is that right out of the gate, if this guy's asking me for cash or he's asking me for connections or he's asking me for a place to stay or a ride right out of the gate, before we talk about anything to do with the program or the work that's needed, that's not going to fly. If this guy sidesteps all that shit and his main focus is the work and getting together and throughout the work and getting together, if he needs a little assistance, then it's an intuitive thought. We may or may not. It's not the question of helping. That will never be the question for us here in this program. The question is when and how, when and how to help right? Can I help him about getting a job? Well, you know, if he's talking about a job before we even bust into the work, fuck off. This guy's on the wrong track, completely on the wrong track. He's done a step five, six and seven. Maybe he's 12 step and he's still struggling. That's a much different circumstance, right? That's a much different circumstance. And if I have the ability to help him, then there's a good chance. What you also got to keep in mind though, is like, Depends on where you work. If you get a drunk a job and he royally fucks that position up, with they, which they will, they don't give a fuck. You've just ruined your chances of getting another guy a job, right? You might even ruin your own standing at that position. So you want to be fairly careful in that, right? Not so much picky and choosy of your own accord. It's still going to be intuitive. But in saying that, when it comes to at least that aspect, Generally, I make sure that they're doing the work. Then if I see he's struggling, generally these guys don't ask for help. And, and we'll read more about this. The guy who understands and who has locked down the gut level concession, he's not asking you for shit. The only thing he needs from you is the directions in this book. And then you overhear him, to, you know, he's kind of talking about some struggles, but, you know, hopefully God will help him out, these types of things. And then the intuitive thought will come, at least for me, and then we'll see what I can do to help him out. Okay. Jesse covered that page pretty thoroughly. So I'm just going to touch on a couple things. Um, back to the top of 96. This is for you new people, right? Sponsoring. Do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. Search out another alcoholic and try again. That is the mantra of new sponsorship. Because the chances are, as you use your big book and you start seeing the pages that get dirty, you're going to see that it's going to be step one is the dirtiest pages as a new sponsor. And then as you get better at it, the first three steps get pretty dirty. But the rest of the book is clean as a fucking whistle because you're cutting your teeth on the quality of delivery and the, the amount of manufacturing of humility in that first step. Like I couldn't express enough how much the manufacturing of the, the humility in that step one is important. Because that person needs to know the, the predicament of the allergy, the malady, and the obsession. But they also got to be humbled to the point where they actually fucking believe that step two will help them. So it all kind of lies in the delivery of that step one. And then that step two and three, they start vibrating a little bit higher. But the key to that step one is low vibration, a lot of humility, and, and working relatively quickly through that. And, uh, and not giving up and not, not stopping looking for these people because they're out there and you'll find them. You just, yeah, at first you got to go to the right fishing holes. Jesse talked about the meetings and how easy it is to find them. And it is, 
That's why it's so important, again, to stress how, how your message gets delivered because you want to be able to track them through the message. Um, don't chase a man who's not willing to work with you. That's a waste of time. We don't carry the alcoholic. We carry the message. The message is contained in the book, articulating your share, carrying that message. That's how you attract these guys. Don't bother chasing people, even people that you know and love, because it's, it's useless. It's okay to reach out to them, say, hi, how you doing? Keep track of them, maybe, if you wish. You know, join them for a meeting, take them to a meeting if you're really attached to them or whatever. But if they really want a desire to stop drinking and do this work, then the desire, like the book says, has to come from within. And until then, you're wasting your time. Um, if you leave a man alone, he may be soon come convinced that he can recover by himself. Fucking let him. Let him try. He'll be back, typically. To spend too much time on one situation is deny another alcoholic of the opportunity to live and be happy. And subtly underneath us chasing people and trying to really get certain people, usually the motive is selfishness of some sort within the person doing the chasing. You know, so watch for that. Um, bottom of the page, you know, per permit that and you only harm him. You will be making it possible for him to be insincere. And you may be aiding in his destruction rather than his recovery. So I'm going to take this line in a little bit different direction. Typically, the family will do what this is saying. They will always offer him the money and the place to stay. And they will soften his bottom constantly. And they are actually only harming him. But it's really hard for a family to not fucking help somebody they love so much, right? So, you know, that's just kind of the way it goes. But for us, we don't have to do that. You know, and I don't, I don't let alcoholics sleep at my house. You know, I've had many times where they wanted to let me, let them stay on my couch. The best I'll do is give them 20 bucks and drop them off at the drop-in center. And like, I think I'm doing them a favor by doing that. When I give them the 20 bucks, I don't ever expect to receive it back. So that's never going to happen. And I don't expect it to come back. But all they can do is drop them off at a DI man or a fucking homeless shelter or something. And when they have that humility, like Jesse said, when they're willing to fucking just sit here and do this work and that's all they care about, then maybe some of that other stuff can happen organically through the rest of the process. But I'll tell you this, and I heard this from Jesse, I think. When the alcoholic has the plan, they're doomed. When they have the idea of how this is going to go, and they're going to tell you how this is going to go, they're fucked. Because they are fucking trying to run the show. When you got a guy that comes and they're, they don't know anything, they don't have a clue about how anything's going to go in their life, then they're in the right place. But the guy who says, oh, I need to do the steps. I need to come here. I got to go to school in the spring. I got a fucking job opportunity. My girlfriend's kind of waiting in the wings for me, blah, blah, blah. Whatever it is that their plan is, you watch as sponsors. You'll see that that will always almost end up in a fucking drunk because they're running the fucking show. And it doesn't work, man. It doesn't work. And when I work with people and I get them through some parts of the steps and the spiritual awakening, the the build with me, do with me as thou wilt starts happening, 
these people during the sponsorship, they will get to a place where they actually don't know anything that's going on in their life. And they get to a place where they're fucking pretty broken in their sobriety. You guys as sponsors, be aware of watching these people get broken in their sobriety. And that's a good thing. And for me, I tell them, you're in the right place. That is a good thing. Because that is a natural process of actually healthy recovery. While they're working their steps and they're getting broke down through the step work and they get to the place where everything that they thought they knew is fucking not true and they don't know really what's true or anything. They start crying for no reason. All these emotions are all messed up. They don't know what's going on. That's actually healthy recovery because they're getting broke down. And God is going to build with them and do with them as that will. And they're becoming open to whatever it is. So that's a good thing. So don't stress out you sponsors to try to fix because we just want to fix them. And then we get worried, right? You just, you just stay steady and you keep taking them through the material, meet them every week. Maybe you meet them twice a week, once in a while, right? Give them a little more hope in, in the process of, of this work. That's it. Okay, we are going to shut it down with the uh, serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, wisdom to know the difference. Hold on. We got a question here from Dale. Let's answer his question before we fly. Okay, so I have a prospect that that hasn't had a belief in God all his life and he's trying to make a connection but says he's not getting any results. How do I get through to him? I think it's his self-will blocking him from God, which it is, but I don't want to offend him. Dale, what step is he on? He's just a prospect at this point that I haven't, uh, I haven't gone into the steps with him. Okay. He's just struggling. So if he's willing to at least have a, a change in that belief, bro, then that's yeah. all you need. Okay. That's all he needs. And as you take him through the material, like the we agnostic chapter says, if he is willing to believe, or if he does believe, then we emphatically assure him that he is on his way. And actually the book will produce the result of his higher power. And it will probably change as you go through the steps. But the thing, the one thing that I've seen with people that are really Christian, their ego attaches to the Christianity belief systems. And sometimes we need to like really have a shakeup in the step two and really fucking redefine what God is. Yeah, and, and two good things that I've found, Jesse mentioned one a few sessions ago and probably back in the agnostics is a dead relative is somebody really good to like really lean into. But I've recently, in the last year, I've been using, instead of the word God, I, I get my sponsees to say love. So they're praying to love, not to God, because God is love. But it changes the whole context of what God is when they're praying to the word love. So you just take them through the process, bro. Let the book and the process do what it does. And you do what you're supposed to do, which is take them through it. But you might get some good value through listening to the step two on the Spotify or YouTube because it gives you some uh, really good tools and emphasizes the literature of the we agnostics to help with the God idea to change. Anything, Jess? Yeah, I would just say like specifically what we read uh, went over that. 
And it said, you know, make it empathetic that you felt the same way that he does, right? But you doubt that you would have made any progress had you not, you know, been a little bit willing. So as long as the guy's willing, then you got a shot. Furthermore, I would say step two, for sure, listen to that. You know, if you were there for that session, great, re-listen to it, right? But I would say, take this fucking guy through the book. Then you got a chance. If you're not taking well, the guy through the book, then you know what? It doesn't really matter what he what he feels or thinks because there's not much that you can do in just general conversation to change anything without the book, right? Without going off the book. So he's, he's just at the point where he's really down on his luck and he just doesn't know where to turn. So he says, I'm trying the God thing, but it's not working. And so I'm just trying to get through to him to, to get him into the steps. He wants what I have. He respects what I have. He, he says, he's one of these guys. Yeah. He wants what I have, but yeah. I don't know if he's ready to do the work yet. So this is what I have to convince him. Of. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, that's like, that's like every guy. That's like, yeah. that's like, that's called alcoholism. I mean, you know, not only that, like, sure, that's alcoholism. I mean, take a look around in society. You'll see that all over the place. You know, people want, I want the nice car, but I'm not willing to do the work. I just want to feel resentful that other people have success and I don't and all this other shit. It's a, it, it's a similar thing. Probably what I would do is I would have a little bit, maybe a little bit more of a harder conversation, laying the chips out on the table. Like, are you going to do this? Or are you not going to do this type of idea? Because I'm sure you've probably been a little bit more passive with them. Have a little bit more of an assertive conversation and then let it go with that. Right. right. Like you might want to disturb them the question of alcoholism. Like, you know, start talking to him about some of the spirituality. If the guy is dry, the spirituality gets worse, never better. So what I always do is I always hammer the spirituality. I talk about that more than I talk about anything else, especially with new guys, right? The feelings, the feelings without the drink. I'm worse without the drink, especially if I have no program and no God. And you, and if, if you think he's real deal alcoholic, then you know that for a fact. He can't get away from it. So you start talking about that type of shit, restless, irritable, discontent. And then, and then you say, okay, bye, right? <laughs> You, yeah, you, okay. you, about that, like, <laughs> you know i want to blow my brains out and all this other stuff say okay uh jerry have a good night right yeah, and then and yeah. then you know what you might disturb the question of alcoholism then all of a sudden he thinks to himself holy fuck man you know and then he gives you a call and wants to do the work he never calls you again it'll be one of the two <laughs> right on thanks a lot guys really enjoy them this meeting okay, you guys, guys are awesome thank you dale okay guys thank you all for coming have a good night thank you for staying a little bit late bill fucking talking the whole time Thank you for tuning in to the UDR cast. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. The viewpoints and the opinions expressed today were solely of the individual sharing them. If you resonated with this episode, please follow us and share this link with anyone that may benefit from it. Please visit us at billward.life to see everything that we have going on. We can recover one person, one family, one community at a time.